So this intrigued me, uh, Ben, obviously, I, I sent you an email a, a little while ago, just on some CPA stuff. And then um, I, I heard about this. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I know it's a bad, it's a horrible time for CPAs. Hopefully it'll be over for you soon. Um, but I, I heard about this book and then I was wondering what this uh, forum was going to be. And I've actually been looking for, I do read business books and um, I heard about that one. So I've not read that book, but I wanted to hear about it. And I, I want to see uh, what this book club was all about. So that's why I'm here today. Fantastic. Yeah. All right, Shraggy, the infamous. <laughs> the, the infamous or infamous. Uh, I'm Shraggy Ziffman. Uh, I'm a uh, representative with Primerica. So I do uh, investment insurance. And uh, I, like I said, I, I got partway through the book and then I got engaged, so I didn't finish the book. Uh, that, I mean, that excuse this month. Have uh, <laughs> you finished any of them? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll finish it. You know, in time for the grades, I'll finish it. All right. <laughs> I think sooner than I, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and uh, this is, I think, my third, uh, the third month I'm uh, plugged into the book. And just what was looking for additional accountability with my reading because I notoriously start and don't finish books. So I figured let That's me why we're get here. some <laughs> And worst case scenario, if I don't finish, at least I gain some of the insights of others who have read it as well and uh, can gain from it. Awesome. All right, Alex. Uh, Alex Hochberger, I work in marketing. Uh, heard about this book when it was hyped on a Tony Robbins uh, podcast. Uh, big fan of, you know, really building off the relationships of your existing customers from a marketing point of view as a cost containment. So whether you're talking about, you know, your net promoter score or Tony Robbins calling them stark raving fans or in this case, fanocracy, it's all kind of the same concept. So I was really excited for a book that really uh, spent its time and effort establishing the how you go and do this. Awesome. All right, so that's all of us. Um, I gotta say, I, I really like the idea behind this book and the execution, eh, it, it kind of kept telling the same stories over and over again, or at least it felt like it. Uh, I feel like he really put a lot of fluff in there to make it a book <laughs> and not like a white paper or, or whatnot. Um, what I thought was the most interesting thing is if you, you know, he talks a lot about like music festivals and things like that. And the Hockburgers are big music festival goers. So, that I felt like I could really identify with. Like, how exciting is it to go to a music festival? I mean, it's not it's not intimate with the artists, but you definitely have that feeling of a that shared experience. 
with the thousands of people in the audience with you. So there is some magic there. Um, and, you know, he had some points about how to recreate it if you aren't able to be in a physical, like physically near each other, which I don't think at the time he wrote this, he had any way to know <laughs> what was coming in the world. But, you know, I, after hearing his, like, how do you be, I'm probably like a little too high and too far. I should probably be like a little bit closer, but to make your interactions like on Zoom to, to get it to be the right distancing, put yourself in the frame the right way and have it feel like a much more intimate uh, conversation with someone than it would be if you're just on the phone. And this is actually something that, you know, without reading his book, I discovered a few years ago, if I could get a potential client on a Zoom, it was a much deeper connection than on the phone. Because my, like, inability to pay attention to anything <laughs> kicks in really fast on the phone. <laughs> and suddenly I'm, like, replying to emails and going, uh-huh, uh-huh, to those clients that I'm supposed to be paying attention to, you know, to get their business. And it, it, that, it didn't work for me. So, um, you know, it was nice to have that validated that, yes, there is something to this, you know, your big head in the screen there and how it uh, affects your brain in a way that you might not appreciate or understand otherwise. Uh, let me see. There was something I marked and I don't remember why. Let me see. Why did I mark this? So is that what is that what he's saying that uh, you could you should try to do face to face as much as possible? Is that what what the um, point? No, he he wasn't. Um, he he talked about there's different distances and how does your like reptilian brain handle it? So if you're just walking by someone on the street, some part of your brain subconsciously is going to decide friend or foe, right? And part of that is how far away are they from you? You know, if you're on one side of the sidewalk and they're on the other side and you're walking up opposite directions and not making eye contact, probably, you know, pretty neutral. You're not worried. It's not a threat. If you're walking down the street and someone's coming right at you and they stop right in front of your face, well, that's invading my personal space. If someone you know, it might be okay. If someone you don't know, now your brain has to decide, you know, friend or foe. So there was... Um, uh, essentially, the brain process is the fa uh, faces in three ranges. The off in the distance, we're just kind of tracking you as a potential, we're not sure. The approaching distance, which is where you're deciding if it's friend or foe. And then up close, where presumably it's friend. Because someone who's a foe, you don't, you don't like get that close. So the story that's told in there is the selfie that seems kind of silly, but holding yourself at that one arm's length creates that sense of intimacy especially as you're looking at the phone. You know, for testing this, I've got my phone at one arm's length from me. Uh, and, you know, you look at all this, does it not seem like I'm in the room with you? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, that's why I've been enjoying this format for, the, for this. You, know, you can't be in person. This has been a great replacement. All right. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, he also talks about, uh, you know, the different distances being, and I don't remember the distance, and, but, you know, working from a person outward, there's, the, you know, there's intimate closeness, then the, you know, the personal distance, then there's social distance, and then there's one more distance, I forget, which, which is basically distance, uh, conceptually. Um, and he talks about different ways to incorporate that, you know, I, I mean, I made a joke on the in the group about you know knowing more about his underwear that's oh, not yeah. there. To know. Uh, but you know, talks about uh, that band of oh, I, I forget name is my undies or something like that. Yeah, um, undies or something. Yeah, where we're basically it's a subscription service for underwear where every month you get an, a, a, a fresh pair of underwear. Um, and but he talks about how. He, he became a fan of them because of inter, the interaction and the relationship that was able to form, even if it wasn't with an individual person, it was with the individual band. And that's, that's a differentiates between somebody who just likes a particular company, like 
you know, I, I, I use Samsung. I want to say I'm a tablet. I have some phone. The phone before that was another Samsung. And, and the phone before this was a Samsung well. Um, but I'm not married to Samsung. Somebody else told me I get some of the same functionality, the same ability, and whatever off another phone, I might very well switch to it. Because I'm not necessarily a fan of Samsung. I just like the product that they have. Right. Versus... You know, the, the ours brands that come up. Of Apple products. Sorry? <laughs> Versus my entire house yeah, of Apple products. Yeah, Apple products are fans of. The fact that Samsung has a lot of technology first and, and executes some of it better and the software better and you have better programs available for it doesn't stop certain people, the hawkers, from buying an Apple product because they are fans of Apple, not yeah. necessarily their products. Well, I think when you're talking technology, you've got two factors in there, and you need to separate it. There's the network effect that suggests as more people are using the product, there's more value. That's that software side. But also, a lot of these devices add value. So while an iPhone in and of itself may be less value than the Samsung equivalent, and the same thing with my iMac, and the same thing with my if you compare my HomePod, and, you know, but as you start to stack these devices and the benefits from having the integrated ecosystem, you create actual value there. So that's the engineering side versus what you're talking about, the brand side, which is where do I feel that connection to that brand? And, you know, like how many people have a sneaker company they go to or a shoe company they go to or a clothing company they go to where, you know, unless you're upset about it, you don't necessarily go somewhere else. You know, if you're a Costco shopper, have, are you going and running a line-by-line -line comparison of your pricing to BJ's and Sam's Club? Or I have a positive experience with that brand, my go-to is that brand, and that brand gets my bigger share of wallet. And I think, there, you know, there's a lot of stuff on the experience and the brand activation. Like, I agree with Bet. The story, the, the book starts out great and thus becomes a rambling series of stories, most of which are repeated. So I actually think it's a terrible book on a great concept. Uh, but, you know, I thought the selfie thing was a great insight, but that came out on the Tony Robbins thing. Music festivals, absolutely, that feeling of a shared experience. Uh, and he tells some good stories of individual, like oddball brands, especially later in the book. But I don't feel we get enough of how do you as a boring brand do it you know, hell, look at what's going on with Goya Foods right now, right? Uh, they're in the midst of an internet shitstorm, and what have they decided to do? They've maintained their brand integrity. They have gone over and over, getting their message about the, the Hispanic-owned business and what they do for the Hispanic community. And you've seen in their, you know, both grassroots and AstroTurf support of it, bycotts to uh, donate to food banks versus boycotts for political involvement. But you have seen Goya has maintained their own integrity through it. You've looked at Chick-fil-A has done the same thing. You've looked at Hobby Lobby has done it. You've looked at Nike. Whatever side they've taken, they have made their social justice side of their platform or their value side of it integral to their brand. And that's increased their sales within their target audience. But, but you know, that that's more to the and obviously tied together, but actually goes more towards uh, you know the the other book that we uh, we read. You know, start with why. Um, it's what 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 this is talking about is not so much you know it, it's it's more that you become a fan of brand. Uh, and and you know what what one one example that I got to at least where he talks about a born subject was that uh, that insurance company that he talks about that. Yeah, that went out and made hands and, and, uh, in the first place. Honestly, that was the, the yeah. one reason I'm like, I need to read this. I also am in a boring industry. You know what? What does he have advice wise? Because who's a fan of their CPA? And medical software. Yeah. And and, <laughs> and medical marketing that I do. Yeah, boring industry. Yeah. How do so, you make it exciting? So it, it, it becomes. Yeah. You know, so so it you know, where you become a fan of the brand. I think with Goya, they're sticking their branding and they're sticking to what, you know, to their story and, and stuff like that. But, you know, the people that are the boycotts aren't because they're like, 
oh my god, I love Oya, and I'm a, a super fan of the brand. I'm mean, what I can to support them. More of it, I would say, is black against the other side politically. More than I think, the, I think the fact that Goya went and put a plan together or got done for them that people that were fans of the president would transfer that into buying Goya products is absolutely brilliant and exploited. Was that a plan to put together or okay? I, I wasn't aware of it, but uh, again, it doesn't mean anything. Um, but again, but that's that's still not making fans of themselves. That's just taking advantage of a situation to, to market stuff right now and to market tomato, stuff, tomato. this might this might let itself the road to people becoming fans of it. You know, they're they're the one of the only brands that can has canned frames. Here's another way to look at it, right? If I'm buying if I'm buying canned products, right? Do I care which one it is? No, I usually look at the price, right? Price, maybe ingredients. Um, what is special about Goya? I probably didn't know anything about them before this all happened. You know, Iberia versus them, eh, who cares? Whatever, what's, you know, at eye level on the shelf and or the price is about the same. But now, if the prices are roughly the same, might I be more inclined, not because of the controversy, but learning about what they do as, like, good citizens to... You know, uh, I was reading something about how they like do all these food drives and things like that. And I'm like, wow, that's really great. What a great brand. Maybe I go buy them instead because it became top of mind, whatever. Whereas before it was a commodity. I really didn't give a shit which one I bought. I just bought one. You're a better person than I am. I would buy because of the controversy now. Like if, if I had my drug, I would, I would maybe buy some Goya. And, and then, and then you know, keep an eye out for anyone giving me dirty looks because I would enjoy that. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, I mean, I'm I'm buying Publix brand nine times out of ten, you know, for like canned goods type, you know, type stuff. I have never thought about my canned good brand until this. And like Bet, what they have established with what they do for the community and who they are in their story, they have now taken their brand story and gotten in front of people about canned beans. Right, right. I never knew that um, it's the story of the American dream of these immigrants that came from Spain and started their own company and made the American dream happen for them. And then it became public and all that. And I really would have never known unless this all happened. Now, I don't know if it was planned because they also did the same with Obama. Um, you know, he when they did positive things for the Hispanic community, mm -hmm. Same thing, congratulated the president on a great move. And that, uh, I, I would say, didn't get as much uh, pushback uh, and boycotting as, as now when he did it for Trump. But I will say that somehow that old saying, there's no such thing as bad marketing. Um, yeah. I will say that, uh, uh, you know, if you're a Trump fan, you're, go you're buying Goya now, especially now you know the history of the company uh, which no one knew, but you know, not too many, you know, white Anglo-Saxon knew about. Um, but so what? So in this book, though, so what are they? Is it the author is telling you how to build fans, or how to keep fans, or how to make fans, or yes, what are, all that. <laughs> all that. Well, okay. So the thing that was interesting with the boring company and building fans was it's a story about this company that does insurance and. Um, I don't recall the details of if one of the owners was into classic cars or they just happened to sell insurance for it, but they basically created this whole like app around classic cars and selling them and buying them and obviously insuring them because that's what they do, but they followed like the events like, oh, you know, Fort Lauderdale's having a classic car show, you know, here on our app, track all the sales of what's going on. They just built these tangential products and events that their customers really liked. And they kind of became known for, if you have a classic car, go get your insurance for that car from this company. Right. And they had all these other tools. Well, it turned out, if I remember correctly, they created an app for tracking classic car auctions. Yeah, that's what it was, the auctions. 
because people were sending them and and what they what you know the owner of my discovered was that a lot of people were there necessarily looking to buy they were just there to sort of watch the auction see what was being bought and sold see what it was selling for and things like that and what they did was they created an app that you can sit and what and sort of tune into more than one auction at a time and then eventually i think it evolved into something that you can bid through or maybe i'm misremembering that um and then it just sort of they started building community and they have people that are fans that you know if, if they charged more their competitor would still have them as clients because they're now fans of the brand as opposed to just you know customers with a commodity product it's really about the emotional connection. Yeah. And it's talking about, and this is a really interesting thing that is really hard for people who don't do this day in, day out to understand. If you, you know, if you buy a company, like investment bank or whatever, right, the goodwill comes with you and that's the brand value. So we put a dollar figure on by how much we, someone was willing to overpay for the company. But because marketing comes out of the advertising field, we treat it as a fixed expense. And you can't always necessarily tie back, what have I done in marketing this month to this month's sales? That brand value you build over time with your fan base, you know, it's, am I creating net promoters? Am I creating people that are gonna go out there and do whatever? Uh, whether it is why you should buy Goya instead of Publix brand cans, or, you know, I created a whole, you know, I was at a music-based drug and alcohol treatment center right but medical drug and alcohol treatments not a sexy fun product we went in and we started sponsoring music festivals and created an entire brand that we launched called i party sober that was around a lifestyle of going out and it was subversive and edgy and all sorts of stuff but people would come out and interact with our brand at live events and you couldn't no one called in and said i've decided to get clean from heroin or alcohol this week because i saw you at a music festival but you would start you would see as we were having brand activations where the uptick was in that market and you could start to see immediately where people came in and over time as we built out this brand our readmission rate because 60% of the people in the end you know after they get clean relapse you know what percentage of those people come back to you versus someone else some and one of the things that's really powerful is because they're in our residential facility our brand is in front of them every day they're there and then when they leave, that same brand messaging is brought out. We started taking the Friday music program and streaming it on the internet. People are like, well, did anyone call in? It's like, no, nobody called in a tracking number on that. But that sort of meeting your fan base, reconnecting, that was critical towards people to get out and reach there. And you start to see, you know, your referral, your repeat business, your share of wallet, all of these things track when you build dedicated fans. And what's interesting about it is most people think their company can't do it, right? Someone passed an internet meme about every kid from the 90s having a Charlotte Hornets jacket like a, a little while ago. And interesting because I'm watching people who don't watch any sports talk to you about how they had it. It was just the color. But again, I what, love right. the colors. Guilty. <laughs> right. But what did they do to go and create a oh. brand? The sports metaphor is great. Like, why is it a player you can hate when he's in Cleveland, but love when he comes to Miami and then hate again when he leaves, right? Like, what? it's that tribal connection to that team that is at the core of brand. And I mean, this is a very Boston book, like the Red Sox. So Boston. Like, so Boston, because the Red Sox could, like, lose for 100 uh, years and not lose their fan base. That, like, right? Brookline uh, uh, booksmith. I was like, oh, I never went there when we lived there. But they're talking about, like, Coolidge Quarter, and I'm like, there I went. Like, yeah, it was a little nostalgic. Yeah, I know. Right. I'm not how I felt at all that Boston stuff, but. Yeah. Right, but for those of us that spent a few years in Boston, that was yeah, a very no, strong I, fan connection that really, again, it's that tribal in or out. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I, graduated, Goya is no I graduated Boston University, by the way. What a small world. Hey! My fraternity house was in the middle of BU's campus on Bay State Road. Nice. <laughs> so, 
But yeah, and that's really, like, I, I, it's a lot of fun anecdotes. I don't think it's a terribly well-written book, but I think if you're not having spent a lot of time thinking about who as a brand, how do you communicate, what are your values? You know, bet you're a CPA. People go to you for taxes, right? Uh, you've been doing a lot of uh, live video streaming and this book club, and this is totally tangential to what your business is. Right, but reading what that insurance company did, I was like, that's kind of what I've accidentally created here because I, I read all these books. I, I listen to a lot of them, but for this, I, I buy them so I have something to hold up and take a picture of. Um, but, you know, if somebody had a question about some other aspect of business, would they think to talk to me? What? I got to go. Oh, okay. Bye, Alex. I have to book. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Hey, you do taxes? Yeah, I do taxes. But part of, I mean, part of what I've been trying to grow my business is more consultative, like cash flow and planning and things like that. I don't think anyone's necessarily ever thought of me for those, even though I'm like screaming and yelling about it all the time. But once I have this business club, business book club going... People are like, oh, look, she knows about other stuff because she reads the books and here's other people. So now I'm like looking at this group with like 180 people in, in about two months. Um, I have a colleague who, she's up in Connecticut. She's got a very tight niche, right? She does accounting for bridal stores that use a specific software, right? Hard to get more zeroed in than that. And in, I'm in her group because I help uh, some of her clients with taxes and I think she's got like not even 400 people in her group and it took her a long time to get to that penetration and it's much more active than my book club is but I was like wow in a short amount of time I got almost 200 people it has nothing to do with accounting nothing to do with taxes because I would see like oh create a group create a group I'm like who the hell is going to create a group about taxes like the nerdiest of nerds, the only people who are going to want to be in a group about taxes. I don't even want to be in a group about taxes. I would say somehow I would end up in that group too. <laughs> you would. <laughs> but like, I probably would too. That That's in, exciting like, to me. Yeah. Um, no, but you know what? Um, uh, Alex said something that I think he was right on about the emotional connection. Uh, and you see it happening right now with The Gap and Kanye. Um, there was an analyst, our analyst recently said, <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, 90% of what they sell at the gap, you could find anywhere. Uh, and like, for example, they sell a plain black gap t-shirt for $29.99, which you could find, you know, in Hanes, uh, you could buy a Hanes black t-shirt for $3.99. Why would you pay 20? It doesn't even say the gap on it, by the way. Oh, so why really? would you pay? Yeah. Why would you pay $29.99? And that's where Kanye comes in and hopefully makes it cool again um, for kids. And same thing with um, even, I would love to hear about the insurance example you gave, because I don't know what happened there. But um, no, I see that in accounting all the time where I've got a Russian uh, CPA that I use for Russian clients, um, but he's, an, you know, he's a jerk, to be honest with you. He's nasty. Uh, he's nasty in emails to me, and I'm the one referring business to him, and he's nasty. Uh, but but the Russian clients love him because for some reason, they love to be spoken to like Vladimir Putin speaks to his people. Um, but you see, that's someone that I don't enjoy giving business to except the fact that he speaks Russian. So I've got, I'm Russian, and I've got some Russian clients that he can help. But, well, uh, there's, but I'm, a, there's I'm afraid to send people to him. There's something about the common language when you're not in your country. Because, right. Because uh, I hired somebody, I've hired many people this year, but this one who's working with me right now speaks Spanish, right? And I have foreign clients, like, I know, like, this much Spanish, not enough to have a conversation, certainly not enough to have a business conversation. And we had to get on a Zoom where one of the clients is from Spain, right? Not, I'm not using Spanish inappropriately here. He's literally from Spain. And because uh, my manager has the background that he speaks Spanish, they were able to converse. And instantly it was like a bond, like out of nowhere, instead of like me where I'm like, ah, I don't really speak Spanish. You know, so even though you might not appreciate his 
tone and his approach, the clients are probably very comfortable because he's speaking, right. really speaking their language. Yeah, I, I have an attorney who told me that be able to refer more business to me if I spoke Spanish because even though the clients speak English, they love it. They just they want somebody that it. also speaks Spanish. Right. This is why I'm trying to build my Spanish team, but that's the whole story. Right, right. Uh, I mean, I've kind of fallen into some of it with the foreign clients, so I'm thrilled to have somebody who can actually talk to people because. Uh, Espanol is muy malo because <laughs> I only took a couple of years in high school. That's, you know, about Wait, yeah. all I can say. <laughs> um, before we beat this to death here, I want to say the other thing that I really loved, and um, Eddie, you, you don't know this, but Alex, Shragi, and myself are all in a stage combat group where we sword fight and we do like Renaissance. I know that about you. I know that about you and Alex. I didn't oh, yeah. know that about Shragi, but I didn't know that about you. That's how I know them. Nice. Okay. So something that I thought was really interesting in this book is he talks about immersive experiences. And Shragi, I don't know if you read it, but there is this, um, I don't know where it is in the book. He talks about a magician that like has like audience members like get like look over his shoulder and like breathing down his neck while he's doing magic, which I did not get to that one. <laughs> that would blow me away. But they talk about, um, I don't know, I should have marked it in here. They talk about this theater experience in New York city, which if I ever go to New York city again, and they ever reopen anything up there, I'm dying to go to, but they took over this building and they call it the something or other hotel. And they run an interactive Macbeth performance where the entire building is interactive, right? You have to wear a mask because there's, there's three types of people. There's cast that aren't wearing masks. There's the, um, uh, the patrons, I guess they're not really, you know, sitting there watching. You're literally running around the building. Uh, they have white masks and then the staff and like tech crew wears black masks. And they run through all of Macbeth three times. But you, they said, like, you can go into a study and you can, like, touch stuff on the desk. And you can, you know, look through books. And, you know, you might see somebody who's an actor and they're, like, literally running around. And you can follow them and you have to figure out, like, who they are in the play. And it culminates at the end, like, all in one room. And then they run it again three times which is nuts, but you can follow different people. Every time you're going to have a completely different experience because you know, maybe you end up in the garden. Maybe you end up, I don't know. They said there's like an, uh, an insane asylum in there or something. Like there's all kinds of crazy things that go on and all these actors moving about and other patrons. I need right. information about this. You what? I need to know about this. It's called Sleep I do no go to New York more than you do. It's called Sleep No More. Sleep um, No More. Sleep no more. Yeah, it's... Uh, Sorry, I'm going to ignore you for a minute as I look this on my phone. Page 79 in the book, Sleep No More, where they talk about it. But the thing to me, I mean, this was great because this is like an idea we're working on in the Royal Chessmen, which is its own thing. But it got me thinking, like, how do I make people's experience working with me more interactive? Not, here's my stuff, give me my taxes, but how do I get them more involved in the process? And some about you don't want you know you don't want the clients to see how the sausage gets made because <laughs> that maybe is too deep. But I've heard of other accounting firms that'll give you like a ticket, like a ticketing system. Like if you have a problem with um, like tech support, where when they submit everything, you basically open a ticket and they can see where in the process things are. And I'm like, part of that is terrifying to me for clients to see how this all happens. <laughs> um, but maybe that transparency, instead of me now answering a million emails where my, my autoresponder literally says, if you're a client, you've already been extended, where they're emailing me and saying, did I get an extension and emailing me two days later saying, did you extend me? Like, instead of having all that, they could see, oh, here's where I am in the process. Maybe it's worthwhile. I don't know. I, you know, it's things to think about to differentiate myself from all the other accountants out there. Well, the, I sent you an email on, you know, 
three, two days or so before um, tax deadline, and the response comes back, I am out scouting. Yeah, yeah. Well, you that was like... that up. <laughs> no, you still have that up. I sent you something this week, and I got that back. Yesterday, Monday? Yeah. Is today Tuesday? What day is it? Today is Tuesday. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yesterday, yeah. <laughs> so I must have sent it either yesterday morning or, or Sunday. And, uh, but yeah, that, that makes you stand out, trust me. The scouting? Oh, yes. You should see the very yeah, the, the, fact, the fact that they got an email three days before tax deadlines that say, don't worry, you're attended, I'm, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I'm getting some like, how can you be away the week before? I'm like, listen, people, this is the apocalypse, okay? Tax deadline was supposed to be in April. I was supposed to be away in June. None of this was supposed to happen in July, and yet here we are. <laughs> what can you do about it? You gotta, you gotta. Yeah, listen. my my thought my mind was like, but some people have to send in money if they extend. Yes, but guess what? They knew that before today they, they knew that back in april nobody nobody was home back then so i didn't <laughs> plenty of people don't i have like two clients that i need to tell them to send something whatever that's a, I, I, the other thing i really liked in here yeah. adobe failing to see through the customer's eyes it's like right after the interactive thing and like adobe is huge right photoshopping is huge and they have this whole thing where Adobe's like, this is our trademark and this is the appropriate way to use it and you can't use it in another way. And they actually said, like I just said, Photoshopping, like trademarks are not verbs, correct. The image was enhanced using Adobe Photoshop software, incorrect. The image was Photoshopped. It's like, what a missed opportunity, Adobe. <laughs> you, you did that thing where your product has become the generic term, like, you know, give me a Kleenex, like, instead of a tissue like I, I don't there's a term for that it's like you got that why are yeah. you trying to stop it you you should right. be the only company we ever know if we want to photoshop something whatever the or i'm sorry uh enhance an image we should only ever want to use photoshop and they totally like missed the boat so that was part of their like failing to see things through the customer's eyes and i'm like oh it's so important like you need to be a little keyed into what your uh, what your customers are saying, doing, acting, behaving, using your stuff. Yeah, embrace it. Don't you know? Don't don't stick to your gun if you don't have to. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's kind of like um, the CEO of Twitter when uh, Trump was just excessively using Twitter. And they asked the CEO on CNBC, you know, what do you think of, look at this, your president is using Twitter. And instead of saying like, yes, don't you see what an important tool it is? And it's the new politics. You know what he said? Because he hates Trump. So um, he says, no, we actually wish he would stop using Twitter. Instead of acknowledging the importance. And that's why Twitter stock has not budged in like five years. Because, I mean, how, how could you not take an opportunity and say, yes, this is why Twitter needs to be used for, you know, anyone important or whatever the story. And instead he used it to bash the fact that the wishes Trump would not use Twitter. I mean, right, right. It's kind of silly. Um, also, I'll say that that's part of why they're getting in trouble with this common carrier stuff. Like this is stuff I don't totally understand, but having these like issues with the FCC and um, right. Alex tried to explain it to me and I was just like, oh, okay, whatever. Right. But basically, once they start editing and filtering, you're no longer a common carrier. And well, now you've shot up, you know, shot across the bow of the president of all people. Right. <laughs> Any little misstep, you're sunk. So that was, yeah, it was not smart. Like, no one needs to know. Like, I don't even know who the CEO of Twitter is. I don't care what his political views are. In fact, I disabled my Twitter account uh, like a week or two ago. I'm like, I'm done. I, I haven't checked. I haven't logged in in a million years. It's yeah. mostly noise. Like, I, I don't need to have this. I, I, I leave it. The, business, but. the only time I post to it is when I'm using LinkedIn, and you can have a LinkedIn post also post to Twitter. Right. I, I don't know. That's the thing when I post to it. Okay. I mean, I, I 
follow a bunch of people on it. Uh, occasionally, I'll hop in and see what they have to say. Uh, more often than not, I see it only if an article links to it or feed. And, and, and somebody's like, oh, snap, read the comments. They're hilarious. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll open up Twitter. I mean, heck, the only reason I signed up for Twitter in the first place was because I was entering a content uh, a number of years ago, and the only way to enter it was via Twitter. There you go. It, it was for, uh, oh, well, Joss Whedon, after he filmed Avengers, took a bunch of actors from, uh, the, um, from, from the universe and filmed much about nothing in his home in black and white, all modern clothing. Wow. But you have like you know, uh, you know Greg Clark and uh, Nick Fillion and uh, like all these actors from all these different Joss Whedon shows in black and white. They filmed it like in twelve days, and I think they changed they they changed one of my characters, one of the Watchmen. They changed their gender to female, so obviously all the pronouns changed. And then visually, they changed like a choker to a dress, just so it showed up there in. You know, when, when, when they had somebody dressing as Des, uh, whichever character it was, I don't even remember characters. Um, otherwise, it was through to the folio. It was awesome. I went to see it in BAM. But they had a, a, a contest with um, you know, creating posters for it. So I put in three entries, but the only way to enter was Twitter. That's how I ended up on Twitter. There you go. I don't know why I ended up on Twitter, because it was probably a cool thing back in the early aughts <laughs> to get on all these social media platforms. <laughs> Now I'm like, I wish I didn't have the event to have to deal with them. <laughs> a friend, the friendster, and then I moved to MySpace because yep. there was a girl I liked. And then I moved to Facebook because there was another girl I liked. Um, yeah. That's amazing. And, and Beth, what were you saying about the insurance company? Uh, you said it a couple times. Like, what was it that they did? You know, boring business. And what was their... Oh, their, of- their thing was they created that whole platform around the classic cars ah uh, right right okay got it that was basically it it was like created the value add yeah it was it was something that a lot of their customers were into or the owner i don't remember exactly how they ended up there but they became known in that industry and then people who wanted classic cars ended up getting their insurance there which you know if you if you niche into an industry, I was working on this before the world ended, um, building inspectors, which seems kind of random, but they're fantastic because they're very like, um, they're almost like engineers, right? But it's not quite as complicated as businesses as like an engineer or an architect. Uh, it's a service business. It, they're usually fairly small companies. They're not like these big super companies. So it's easy for me to, to access the owners Um, And I spoke at two events. One was a local home inspector group. One was the uh, FABIS, the Florida Association of Building Inspectors. I put in to speak at ASHI, which is the American Society of Home Inspectors in January in Vegas. Who the hell knows what's going to happen because we put that app in in March. Who knows if by January they'll they'll have the event next year. Um, And the gentleman who runs all the local stuff wanted me to come at the quarterly meetings I think it was Fabi also the Florida group. Um, well, they meet in Fort Lauderdale. They meet different couple different places around Florida. So I went to I went to a couple of these and I'm like, oh, I need to interact with these people. I need to figure out like what makes them tick, right? Like what makes people in the building inspecting business tick? I don't know. Like, I don't think they're all that concerned about their taxes and finances and whatever. There's got to be some other stuff that they're into. But by going to those conferences and meeting the other vendors and things like that, it gives me more insight how to connect with these people. Because it is, you know, it's a very male-dominated industry, not that accounting isn't. Uh, I haven't really dealt with any overt sexism that I know of, but sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Like, does somebody not come to me because I'm female? I don't know, maybe, but they didn't come to me, so I don't know how to figure that out. Uh, but it was an industry that I really, really enjoyed. The people were really great. Like, not that other people in other, other industries aren't great. I just, I spoke their language, like connected with people. Uh, I forgot my point. <laughs> but 
No, the way you connected, right? The way, and I agree. I mean, I think one of the best seminars. Uh, in oh, other it was words, the niching. Yeah, niche. right. Like, they found a right. niche with people they really connected with. I'm like, all right, I really like this industry. So it was the same idea, but I didn't figure out like to the extent that that company did. Right. I hadn't been at uh, it that long though. It's only been like it was a few months back in January, and it kind of fell apart. So we'll see what happens. Um, no, I agree with you because, um, you know, one of the, if I did a seminar on financial advice, uh, nobody would come. I mean, that's just boring. Um, but one of the best seminar, I, when I say best, I mean, most successful for me, I walked out with like four clients it was just, uh, it was a, a guest speaker, uh, from the Israeli army he happened to be here. Um, he helped land the, uh, um, Israel's, uh, satellite on the moon. And, um, and I just reached out to the FIDF and I asked them if I could borrow him for, and I'll sponsor the food and everything. And they were so nice about it. They're like, well, he's here for three days. We actually have nothing for him to do because we only, they only scheduled him for one. I said, you know, can I pick up some of the cost? And it was like a little bit of money and I called Fidelity and they said, they'll pick up some of the cost. And I just started with a quick commercial guys, you know, just uh, to pay the bills and just a little bit about Raymond James and about what we think about going to happen in the stock market. It was really literally 30 seconds. And I made the bio, I passed it over. Uh, he did such a great job talking about how they landed on the moon. And then I got four clients out of that and it had nothing to do about the stock market. Right. And it was just that connection about Israel and about landing on the moon and whatever it was. Um, and it was kosher food. And so that's why, um, you know, it's interesting what you said. So it definitely makes sense. I mean, I am a much closer to what I normally do, like with the PPP and all this CareTag stuff, I was doing free webinars like crazy, like a crazy person. And people I've known for years hopped on because they're, they have a business or a small business or they just know me or they're curious. And people were like, oh my God, you know so much about this you're my new accountant. And I was like, right. Oh, okay, sure. Like <laughs> nothing to right. do with what I was talking about at all. They're like, you're going to do my taxes next year. I'm like, but we were talking about PPP here, not taxes, right. but just, you know, showing like, Hey, here's something tangential. This is important for business owners. You need to know this. And it was free. I'm like, I'm not getting anything out of this. I'm not charging you for it. Here you go. Mm -hmm. uh, it was, you know, we'll see what happens next year, but I'll, it right. generated a lot of goodwill for me. Hopefully people remember. I mean, it did yeah, get that, some new clients just for the sheer fact that I was available. Because <laughs> right. a lot of people were contacting me and saying like, oh, my CPA is like missing in action or they died or we don't know what's wrong with them, but they're not answering. And I was like, all right, I'll do your stuff. Send it right over. Right. Yeah, I, I've had that also with like the, the most successful seminars I've done or workshops have not been just the financial focus. I've done them with uh, family and matrimonial attorneys, and I've done them with, you know, with nutrition companies and things like that. We're talking about, you know, over, overall, you know, uh, we call the financial wellness workshops. Right. You know, uh, no, no, it wasn't financial wellness. Those that I do for companies. Uh, it was total wellness workshops. Uh, which is why, but you know, I, I branded total workshops for uh, you know as the ones that are throwing the events. Um, but you know, it's it's just you know bringing in, you know something that it's the catch. Again, Eddie, I mean, you and I have the right. same thing. You know, no, nobody really wants to come listen to a financial seminar. It doesn't matter what sort of investment advice you're giving them. It doesn't matter, you know, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter if you're a fee based or if you're a sales charge based. Because I mean, we, we both do, so it, it's a matter of so, something that interests them. Besides the fact that everyone's interested in money, but I don't know, people people don't put two and two together to get four. Yeah, so uh, yeah, it's it, that tangential. It's what do you do to bring in people that also, you know, I, I used to bring in, you know, uh, somebody that you know that, that I, I use their products and services. I, I was a, I was a testimonial for them. Right. Yeah. You know, so. That's huge. Testimonial. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, I, I'd, I'd come in. Hey, I, I lost 90 pounds with exercise diet and utilizing their supplements. You know, didn't, didn't get better than that for them. Hey, uh, just out of curiosity, which books have you got? How long has this been 
been going on um, this book club um, meeting? I did it last year a couple times and then kind of fell apart over like the summer and the tax season and then I just was traveling and got busy and I started it back up once I was like oh I could do this on Zoom and we had a lot of free time on our hands like earlier in the year everyone's stuck at home. Um, we have covered this year we did uh, Good to Great, Start with Why, so I read both of those, and I missed, see, I missed those, but uh, all right, fine. Well, luckily right. for you, the videos are on uh, YouTube, at, or oh, if you nice. want to listen to it, I have the audio stripped down into my podcast. Uh, I just want to comment one thing, because we're kind of out of the hour here. I think it was, start with why it was last month, we were talking about Nike, yeah. and was their controversy worth it or not, and he talks about it in this book, right? And they were like, uh, what was his comment on this? The takeaway, your ideal brand ambassador has an authentic relationship with your company and it is a true fan of the product. That doesn't seem real helpful. Um, I don't know. He like stuck this in here. It has nothing to do with the section. Uh, oh, it was about influencer marketing, right? And they were saying that you can also go sour if you have an influencer <laughs> that maybe doesn't do what you want them to do. Um, and this was what Nike... They started the Just Do It campaign with Kaepernick in 2018, and then back in, 2000, in 2016, he didn't stand at the anthem, and it was like a whole thing, right? And after, so after he did his 2016 action, his shirt became the top seller in the NFL website, okay? But at the same time, people were also screaming, yelling social media that, like, this sucks, that we don't like this. When Nike announced a relationship with him, the hashtag Nike boycott began trending. Um, so you have to decide if that like, you know, type of um, inflammatory marketing is what you want to do. I just thought it was neat because we talked about that with Start With Why. Like, I don't remember, I think it was uh, my client, Ajibon, brought it up. And here it is popping up in this other book about, you know, is it good or bad? And there's really like, inconclusive they just say like we suggest companies be careful about waiting in with well i I, th I think in the cases in both cases the message is that you know you need to stick to a core belief with it because that's a belief yeah. of your fan yeah. yeah so you know if, if nike decided all right they are going all in with you know with, with the kneeling and all that and you know for better or for worse yeah. i i have years and years and I think last time I bought the I bought the SWU brand, so... I couldn't tell you the last time I bought a pair of Nikes, except one of my kids recently tried a pair on and liked them. I personally don't like their shoes. <laughs> I haven't been a Nike fan ever. <laughs> what? Which Nike. ones do you wear? Uh, New Balance. That's my favorite. Which was... I pair of, I think... When I lived in Boston, and the factory was right there in Watertown, and we uh. could the factory store, but they're still my favorite. The trail running shoes. They're really like sturdy and hard. I can't deal with squishy. It hurts my ankle. I went. Nobody can see it, but my foot is then like I went swollen right now. What? And that's where. That's when I went to Nike. Come to think of it, because they had the uh, my, my, my summer house is right next to a Nike a, a Nike outlet yeah. in upstate New York. So yeah, so we we, we did that. Oh, I was like I said, DSW. I think it's how I mean, I don't super sleep now with this. As I'm out of the gym, you know, my 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 walking the wear a lot of sneakers. Hey, Shroggy, where where in upstate New York? Ah, right near Monroe. Not, not. I mean, if you're in New York, and I say upstate, I don't mean Rochester and stuff like that. I mean, like you know, the the Jewish upstate. And we were in Monroe, which only halfway as far as. You know, even the beginning of the Catskills. Yeah. But on Friday afternoon, an hour and a half drive instead of three hour drive, you know, can't beat that on traffic 17. Um, hey, I got a hop, but I want to uh, thank you both and I want to um, offer something. Um, so I have Start With Why, a whole box of books. Oh my goodness. Uh, start With Why books. Yeah, because we use it as training for some of the junior, you know, for the trainees and stuff. So I could absolutely spare three, four, or five books. If you know anyone that wants them, let me know that we, we both live in Hollywood. 
yeah. I'll be happy to drop some off if you know anyone that wants to read that book. But it was a great book, and I've got a whole <laughs> box of them. So you, you too, Shragi, bet knows how to get in touch with me. But if you know someone that wants the book, I've got a whole box of them here. Awesome. I appreciate that. That's awesome. All right. Well, it was All nice right, to so meet you. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Right, good. Are you we got to figure out what are we reading next month. That's the real question. <laughs> Anyone have suggestions? Well, I would say in 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 two months maybe we should do that uh, book with uh, Stern. You can get it at discount. I remember how much I don't know how much of a discount it is, but yeah, he said he'll sign them and ship them down to us. That's awesome. All right. Yeah, wow. we'll, we can focus on that for what's that? For the following September. month. September. All right. What's yeah, your... but we'd have to buy books before August 12th to get the discount. Okay. Um, I could do. I can post that one. Let me figure out what do we want to do. Um, I was interested in. I have a few on my list here. Um, I don't know how good they are. Deep work rules for focused success in a distracted world. Pitch anything. An, an innovative method for presenting, persuading, winning the deal. E myth revisited. I don't know. What about, do you guys like ever do any of the classics like um, how to win friends and influence and stuff like that or, or not really? I, I haven't. Um, I've tried to read that book so many times and it's so freaking boring. <laughs> right, but I mean, but but is it just new books or is it oldie but goodies or? Uh... It's a mix. I will tell you the other ones we did. So we did um, Four Hour Work Week, which is kind of old with Tim Ferriss. Um, Clockwork which Mike McCallowitz, uh, that was decent. Um, Influence, Science of Practice by Robert Caldini, Getting to Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a good and then one. we did Good to Great, Start with Why, Fanocracy. So that, that's all the ones we've done so far. It's not like a huge list. Um, I tend to like the more like scientific, like the professors that kind of write an accessible book more so than like this one. And this is the reason I don't love these is that they're usually a lot of fluff. Like they have a, a concept, but they're not, um, you know, there, there's not a lot. Uh, at one point I was uh, reading Traction. I couldn't even finish the book. It was like, this is every other book I've ever read on repeat. <laughs> right. I like to have something that's got like a, a bit more um, heft to it. Selling in tough time. Which one was that, Shraggy? Selling in Tough Times, uh, Tom Hopkins. Selling in Tough Times, I don't know it. Uh, Tom Hopkins was a real estate person. There's at one point talking to him in the, uh, the Guinness Book of Records, or he might be in it for the most houses sold in a year, like ever. Um, I mean, he, he's done some Primerica workshops and stuff. That's, that's where I know him from. Uh, I have some of his finance, like selling financial products books, but that's not germane to everybody. Um, it doesn't have a great Goodreads rating. The five-second rule? Oh, that would be a good one. Five-second rule. No Robbins? I would totally do that one. The other thing that I was wanting to read, The One Thing by Gary Keller. I've heard of it. Don't, um, don't know it. A group that I'm in did a... Um, did a, a, a one-hour online workshop with somebody from that from the company. It was amazing. I was blown away. I was like, "Wow!" <laughs> and that's got a great Goodreads rating, four point one four. I would do. That's a great book. How to become a rainmaker. Yeah, that's a great book. Um, the one you mentioned before, Shragi, is that about like cold calling? The five-second rule. I think it has to do with cold no. calling. Uh, no. no, no. The five-second rule is. About, uh, I think, again, I, I, I didn't read it. Um, it oh, yeah, I picked it up on recommendation. It's on, it's on uh, decision-making and, uh, and taking stuff. action. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry? And getting yourself to do stuff. All Got kinds it. of stuff. Like yeah. anything. Wow. Um, I mean, I would love to read that one because I haven't and I have wanted to. That's well, that's why it's rejected. When I went to a bookshop, I'm like, which ones haven't I? Either have I never started or haven't I finished? Let's let's start some of stuff I haven't read off my own bookshelf. I would say five second rule. It's a little less business and a little bit more self help ish. But it's I'm I'm very powerful. happy doing self help. That's 
listen, we're, we're all selling our businesses and ourselves. That Self-help is business. All right, so let's do five-second rule for next month. I'm going to go order it right now. <laughs> okay, good. I, I'll, I'll put it off the shelf. You've got it already. <laughs> yes. I, I like the ones that don't see anything. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, and we'll see you next month. Great. Thank you. Yep. Nice meeting you, Shragi. Nice meeting you, Eddie. Bye. Thank you, Bet. Thanks.